Hello, listeners. Welcome to Incredible Evolution. Today's topic, the mammalian middle ear. My name is Fiona. I'm Julian. And I'm Quinn. We're so happy to be here recording at Hamilton College. And today we're going to tell you about this really interesting evolutionary adaptation, which is how the mammalian middle ear has evolved from our reptile ancestors. Though to begin, we need to set the stage. What is the basic structure of the ear? What makes this evolutionary adaptation so important? That is a great question to start with. To start, we must distinguish that we will be focusing on the middle ear rather than the outer ear or inner ear. The easiest way to think of this is that the outer ear is what we can see when looking into the mirror, but also includes the tube that carries sound to the eardrum. The middle ear contains the bones in the tympanic cavity, which is the area right after the eardrum. Then the inner ear includes the various structures that have the nerves for hearing and the ability to balance. So when focusing on our middle ears, we have three bones, the malleus, incus, and stapes. These bones are what are traced through the fossil record, which we will be delving into a little later. Reptiles only have one bone, the stapes, giving our ears the ability to hear better. This is because our three bones create a lever system that creates much more accurate vibrations, which leads to better hearing. Here's a video from PBS, which explains its development in a simple way. These are the three bones of our middle ear. All mammals, including people, have these three bones that sit inside the skull. And what they do is they form a little lever system that turns the vibration of air into sound that our nervous system can perceive. We, like all mammals, have three of these bones in our middle ear, but reptiles only have one. These two extra bones, the malleus and incus, enable us to amplify sounds, which is why our hearing is so much more sensitive than most reptiles. So, the malleus and the incus actually do appear in reptiles as well. They simply don't perform the same function. Right, Fiona? Yes, the malleus and the incus in reptiles are just a lot bigger and form the jaw joint instead of the middle ear. That's crazy, isn't it? Scientists believe that the middle ear evolved millions of years ago due to an extension of the jawbone of mammalian ancestors. This extension caused the jaw to form a new joint. The bones from the old joint, which eventually became our middle ear, did not have a function in the jaw anymore, letting way for evolution to occur as the bones moved and were repurposed for our middle ear. So for the next 15 minutes, we'll be exploring three major categories. The first will be about the fossil record. We will tell you how fossil evidence shows how parts of the reptilian jawbone turned into the small middle ear bones that mammals have. In the second section, we will delve into the molecular level of patterning and the genes of the middle ear. Basically, what goes on during development that allows the middle ear to develop and how it relates to evolution. Then in the third section, we will discuss the development of research and future directions on the evolution of the mammalian middle ear. It's so interesting to learn that our ear is the result of the evolution of the jawbone and reptiles. Yeah, it really is. I think to begin our discussion, we could start by focusing on the fossil record. How's that sound? Sounds like a plan to me. All right. To begin, we first have to note that the fossil record is interpreted and reinterpreted over and over again. 
As I was reading through the many different articles about the fossil record, homologies, and where our middle ear came from, I found a reoccurring theme that pushes back against a long-held theory that our middle ear formed from a single common ancestor. Right now, most studies are supporting the idea that there were multiple origins of the middle ear. This is important to note because when looking at fossils, many lineages are going to come up. This is not to say that the middle ear did not evolve from the jawbone. It is to say that there were multiple ancestors that had this change. So it is not just a single line down to mammals, middle ear bones. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. But when did this transition occur? Well, an important time period was about 390 to 360 million years ago. This was when there was the transition from fish to tetrapod. Tetrapods are often defined as vertebrates with digits and limbs. I would like to read a section from a 1997 article by evolutionary biologist, Dr. Jennifer Clack, who is well known for her research in the field of evolutionary biology. She writes, some of these preceded, some accompanied, and some followed the transition from water dwelling to land dwelling. That is to say, the fish to tetrapod transition does not equate exactly with the water to land transition. Some of the changes to the ear region, although not all, were directly connected with changes to acoustic sensitivity with the shift from audition in water to audition in air. But others were affected by modifications to breathing and feeding systems that occurred to skull and muscular structure. You put that perfectly. Let me just make sure I'm understanding this right. So at some point, 390 and 360 million years ago, a common ancestor of fish and humans transitioned into a tetrapod and made the move to land. Fish, of course, have a very different ear structure than we do. During tetrapod evolution, middle ears evolved not only because of the change to land, but also due to various other reasons like skull and muscular structure. I think the best way to imagine this is that as a fish evolves into a tetrapod, they're going to have different structures because tetrapods live outside of the water. They are going to look different than fish because when living on land, their skull has to be different and having digits and limbs will change their body's structure overall. You're exactly right. And the next part of the fossil record to look at is the transition from reptiles to mammals. But before we get to that, I want to briefly explain how reptiles evolved because we have not really touched on that. I'm going to keep it short and simple. So after we have the tetrapods, which evolved from fish, many new animals, including amphibians, reptiles, and mammals, begin to show up as time goes on. So reptiles evolved from tetrapods, and then mammals evolved from reptiles. I just like to think of the tetrapod as on top at the start of everything, and as time went on, we got the diversity of life that we see today. As this evolution occurred, the skull and jaws of animals evolved. So now that we set the stage there, we can go into how mammals evolved to have such better ears than reptiles. This is where we will be focusing on the jaws evolution. Take it away, Quinn. Thanks, Julian. So this is what we highlighted in the clip from the PBS video. What we see in the fossil record is the transition from reptilian ears to mammalian ears. Reptiles have one bone in their middle ear and mammals have three, the malleus, the incus, and the stapes. These three bones form a lever system and make for much more sensitive hearing than reptiles. The question is, how did this happen? What scientists have studied are the fossils of early mammals and how their jaw compares to that of reptiles. 
By reconstructing a lineage of these reptilian and mammalian skull fossils, scientists observed that the mammalian jaw evolved in such a way that it used the bones that were present in the reptile's jaw to then create these tiny bones that make up our middle ear. Okay, I'm going to have to be completely honest. I imagine that listeners might have a little confusion on how to actually visualize this transition without seeing the diagrams, animations, and fossil lineages. Do you think you could describe this process in such a way that would make this easier to understand and see in one's mind? Of course. Let's start with the reptilian skull. They have one bone for their ear called the stapes. The other bones that mammals use in addition the malleus and the incus are simply part of the jaw and the reptile skull. These two bones can actually be seen through studying the fossil record. Now, what we must look at is the process in which mammal skulls evolved from a common reptile mammal ancestor. In this case, the mammalian skull underwent morphological changes. One of these was the increase in size and strength of the jaw. The mammalian jaw bones became so big that a new hinge was created. This newly created hinge is separated from the original two bones in the reptile's jaw, letting these bones migrate to the ear. So now it's time to talk about these bones that were used to form the old jaw joint. Spoiler alert, these are our middle ear bones. So as time went on, these bones began to shrink, and after a while, they became redundant. One might think that these bones would just be lost because they're no longer useful, but the amazing thing is that these old bones uh, took on a new job. This job was the functioning of the lever system in our ear. And that's probably the easiest way to visualize how these bones formed and changed. That makes a lot of sense. Basically, as there was a transition to more mammalian animals, the jaw became too big and created a new hinge point. And instead of the bones from the old hinge being lost forever, they started to become smaller and smaller and took on a new identity as the middle ear bones that we are using today to have this conversation. Couldn't have said it better. Okay, so that was the evidence from the fossil record. So I think we're gonna move to our next section now. So our next section is on the development of the middle ear and how changes to genes and DNA cause this adaptation. The evolutionary changes that we just described through the fossil record where the jaw joint bones of reptiles slowly became the middle ear bones of mammals is actually clearly visible during the embryonic development of mammals. That's crazy, isn't it? In their 2017 study, Urban and colleagues looked at the jaw and middle ear development of the possum to analyze the changes that occurred and how they mirror the evolutionary changes. Possum development actually mirrors the transformation of the middle ear that occurred over millions of years of evolution. Yeah, exactly right. First, the middle ear bones, the malleus and the incus, are initially part of the jaw of the opossum embryo, just like in reptiles, which reflects what the early reptilian fossil record looks like. However, as the jaw grows in the opossum embryo, these jaw joint bones move and become part of the middle ear. But what allows this to happen? Well, what Urban and colleagues found was that one of the chief reasons this happens was the breakdown of cartilage in the area around the jaw and the ear. This area of cartilage is called Meckel's cartilage, or MC for short. Due to an increase in cellular apoptosis, or cell death, and TGF-BR2 signaling, the MC breaks down. TGF-BR2 is a signaling molecule that lets cells communicate with each other. The increase in TGF-BR2 signaling tells cells to undergo apoptosis, resulting in the breakdown of MC around the ear and the jaw. 
This allows for the movement of the incus and the malleus to help form the middle ear. Oh, cool. So the breakdown of this cartilage allows for the bones to move because there is nothing inhibiting them? Exactly. Julian, can you tell us a little bit about what the actual genes are that control the development of the middle ear? Of course. The actual gene that directs the development of the mammalian middle ear is called BAPX1. This is actually the same gene used by reptiles to code for the growth of their jaw joint, which further confirms that the reptile jaw and mammalian ear share homology, meaning they are related. Yes, exactly. BAPX1 regulates two other genes, GDF5 and GDF6. In their 2004 study, Tucker and colleagues showed that the change of how BAPX1 is used in mammals is not due to a change in how the gene is expressed, but is actually due to the lack of ability to regulate GDF5 and GDF6. These genes are essential in the formation of joints in animals. So due to this breakdown in MC and the lack of regulation of GDF5 and GDF6, BAPX1 is simply your purpose for the development of the middle ear bones instead of jaw bones. Yes, exactly. We can observe this by viewing the development of embryonic mammals like the opossum as the millions of years of evolution is apparent during development, showing the malleus and the incus move from the jaw joint to the middle ear. That's so cool. So now that we are done discussing more of the molecular and embryonic side, we can move into the implications of research in this field. So to begin, how are researchers today using this information? Why does it matter? Well, throughout this podcast, we've explored the mechanics of the middle ear and that specific shift from one jawbone in reptiles to a series of smaller bones in mammals. But we in 2020 benefit from having the detailed research of countless scientists throughout the past couple centuries to synthesize and learn from. So before I get to how scientists today are continuing these studies, let's first outline how it was that we got here by taking a look at a journal written by Professor Wolfgang Mayer and researcher Irana Roof in 2015, which reviews the history of otic di discoveries and theories, otic meaning in relation to the ear. Sure. Well, the first recorded graphic of the mammalian middle ear dates back to 1543 in Andreas Vesalius's Anatomical Studies, whose Latin title translates to On the Fabric of the Human Body in Seven Books but it took many years to reach a more developed understanding of this complicated change in otic structure. The first scientists to note a difference between the lower jaw of mammals and other vertebrates, specifically the incus bones, differentiation from the larger reptilian bone, was C.G. Karras in 1818. What about the malleus bone? Well, shortly after Karras, in 1820, J.F. Meckel noticed that in mammals, the malleus develops from a thin shaft of cartilage attached to the jawbone. If you recall, listeners, Quinn mentioned this tissue, which we now call Meckel's cartilage, earlier in the podcast. Right. It breaks down as the mammalian jaw grows and separates into three different bones, the malleus, the incus, and the stapes. This allows for the incus and the malleus to disconnect and form the middle ear. In 1898... German anatomist Ernst Gaup was the first to explicitly state that reptiles and mammals' tympanic membranes, or eardrums, develop separately. And remember, listeners, when certain aquatic creatures migrated on land and adapted into air-breathing mammals, their middle ears needed to adapt to acoustic sensitivity in the air versus in their previous marine habitats. When Gaup made note of this divergence in evolution, it resulted in a long string of arguments and discoveries on the formation of the jawbones and the quote-unquote mosaic of different pieces making them up. 
Some, like Edwin Goodrich in, in 1915, noted that the various bones' relationship to one another in the middle ear and jawbone appeared more homologous between mammals, birds, and reptiles than Gout made them out to be. Others, like David M.S. Watson in 1953, posited that eardrums originated in therapsids, a direct ancestor to mammals. Why is the therapsid significant as opposed to an older ancestor of ours? Well, Watson noted that in the fossil record, synapsids, an even earlier relative to mammals, lacked this tympanic membrane. And so when synapsids did evolve into therapsids, their head structures changed, allowing for a more sensitive sound transmitting as a result of the auditory ossicles forming in the middle ear. In 1973, scientist Kenneth Kermack and others studied the jaw of Morganicodon, an early rat-like mammal with exceptionally improved hearing comparable to modern rodents. The middle ear in this species was not yet completely detached from the rest of the jaw, but even that amount of movement improved the animal's hearing in the same way that modern mammals' hearing outperforms that of modern reptiles. Scientists have only explored real-world applications for this research in the past couple of decades. For example, Vidya Manamale is a researcher at the Jackson Laboratory studying cell fates in the middle ear and how their arrangement allows for our auditory functions. She looks at cochlear development in mice to examine the cause of hearing loss in mammals, the degeneration of cells in the middle ear. She wants to understand how these cells generate in mammalian embryos in the first place so we can eventually re-engineer them manually. It's really impressive that in 2016, she and her mentor, Donna Fecke, probed through almost 500 cochleas to trace the, the signaling pathways which regulate the differentiation or development into more specialized roles of cells in the middle ear. They focused on two specific proteins, WNT, which aids in early and late cell reproduction and maintenance, and BMP, which helps embryonic development. Both of these proteins interact with NOTCH, a signaling pathway which regulates genes and dictate differentiation during embryonic development to cultivate sensory hair cells and their activities. Studying how these two proteins in NOTCH control embryonic processes could help Dr. Banamale figure out how to artificially replace the damaged hair cells which cause hearing loss in humans, right? That could help so many people. Exactly. And if she can force stem cells to differentiate into middle ear cells, she hopes to be able to replace lost cells in human patients to cure their hearing loss. Loss of hearing has much more than just a physical impact of just losing your hearing. You lose the ability to communicate with people around you. And so many patients who lose their hearing halfway through life experience isolation and this can lead to depression, anxiety. And so it's a a holistic effect that we're looking at when we're looking at uh, when we consider a patient's uh, quality of life. So to Manamale, the quality of life of patients with hearing loss is very important. Is there any other use for her work that she aims for currently? To be able to replace lost sensory cells, likely through the enforced specialization of stem cells into micro hairs, which create auditory information through vibrations, could dramatically improve the lives of the elderly without need for clunky implants. In an interview in 2019, she mentioned hearing loss as her current focus, but in the write-up for her 2016 study, she also mentioned drug screening for hearing impairments, medicinal specializations for such patients, testing new drugs for their effects on hair cells, and experimenting with regenerative hair treatments. Due to the mammalian ear's complexity, cell transplants and forced specialization can be difficult to pull off. 
That makes sense. Cells specialize depending on their location within the embryo and the maternal signals they receive. But the timing is also a huge factor. Getting all these details right in a living organism, especially a grown human, as opposed to the mice, which Dr. Manamali used in her research, is very difficult to recreate by hand. Still, hearing loss and specialized me- medicine give scientists like Manamale ample motivation to continue demystifying the processes involved in embryonic growth. For more information on her work or the work of her contemporaries in similar fields, check out the Jackson Laboratory's website at jax.org. So, we hope you enjoyed this podcast on the mysteries of our powerful ears. Thank you so much for listening. This was Fiona, Quinn, and Julian. Bye. Bye.